Welcome to the latest episode of The Wharton Current. My name is Thomas Obermeyer, and today I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Silicon Ranch's Reagan Farr and Matt Kisper. Together with former Tennessee Governor Phil Bredesen, the three of them founded Silicon Ranch in Nashville, Tennessee in 2011, and have grown the utility-scale solar owner and operator into one of the largest independent power producers in the United States. Reagan is the president and CEO of Silicon Ranch, while Matt, who served as CEO from 2011 to 2019, is now the chairman of the board and also happens to be my uncle. In this episode, we discuss Silicon Ranch's origin and unique struggles as a solar company in the Southeast, their recent $775 million new equity capital raise, the value of strong stakeholder partnerships in times of crisis, as well as how regenerative land management practices and solar energy can be mutually beneficial. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. And without further ado, let's jump right in. Matt Reagan, thank you so much for joining today's episode of The Wharton Current. Both of you guys worked together way before Silicon Ranch was founded. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys did beforehand and what brought you into the solar space? Sure. Um, Thomas, it's great to be with you. And uh, um, Reagan and I both served in Governor Bredesen's administration here in in Tennessee uh, during the years he was governor, 2003 to 2011. And my background um, had been one of both uh, being in the state legislature and then later serving as his com- commissioner of economic and community development. And um, Reagan can tell you about his, but we met working together on economic development opportunities for the state of Tennessee. And from that, not only did we develop a close personal friendship, we developed a uh, respect for one another and that our skill sets really did complement one another. And we wanted to do something together when we left state government and we kicked a lot of ideas around, but through our work on recruiting companies in the clean energy space, we came to see that the uh, emerging opportunity would be quite exciting to develop a business in um, clean energy and to be at the forefront of, of this trend and maybe even help to set the tone uh, for the industry. And so it was through that that we came to uh, work on creating the idea that became Silicon Ranch. And I'll leave some of the story to Reagan to tell. Thank you, Matt and Thomas. I want to echo Matt's uh, comments. Thank you for having us. So um, my background, I'm a a tax attorney by training, Uh, came up and worked for a couple of the big four firms, and then had an opportunity um, to get involved in state government, uh, when governor Bredesen was elected, he appointed a, a friend and professional colleague of mine to be commissioner of revenue. And she asked me, uh, if I would be her deputy. So it was in that role, uh, as deputy commissioner that I got to know, uh, my partner, Matt Kisber was under governor Bredesen's governor leadership. He wanted the department of revenue and economic development to work collaboratively to help recruit and retain industry. And um, Matt and I got to work on some really interesting projects together in in the first four years of the Bredesen administration. And in the second four years, Governor Bredesen was reelected to be governor. Uh, I served as the commissioner of revenue and we just uh, 
took everything we had learned in that first four years and uh, applied it in the second. And it was a very interesting time because it was really the beginning of, uh, uh, I would say, commercialization of the energy transition. Solar was still a, a relatively nascent industry, but for the first time ever, the volume of polysilicon going into solar modules had eclipsed the volume going into computer chips. And uh, wind was an older technology, but the size of the wind farms were increasing. Uh, there was all types of talk about biofuels uh, that were non-corn ethanol based, cellulistic ethanol. So it was an exciting time to be in government. And it was really uh, in our work recruiting renewable industries to Tennessee that um, we came up with the inspiration for what is today Silicon Ranch. So as Matt said, we, uh, over eight years, you do a lot of fun things together. And uh, when you do them with good people, you end up becoming friends. So uh, Matt and I became quite close with all our travels and uh, had decided to, to do something entrepreneurial together when we left state government. And we were very fortunate to have uh, the governor agree to be our third partner. And uh, for the past 11 years, we've been working collaboratively to grow the company. That's great. And I've enjoyed living vicariously through Matt and all of it. You mentioned it was an exciting time in the beginning of the energy transition, but also the, the founding of Silicon Ranch coincided with the bankruptcy of Solyndra and end of Cleantech 1.0. Did that impact you both in terms of growing the company, raising capital, uh, anything of that nature? I'll speak first and then let Matt add some commentary. But the Solyndra bankruptcy really did uh, frame a narrative around solar energy that we had to address very often in, in our early days. And, um, you know, when Silicon Ranch started in, in Nashville, Tennessee, southeast, there really was no solar. It was a West Coast phenomenon, mainly California, some in Arizona. But solar in the Southeast uh, was very much a very small rooftop programs and not, not widely dispersed at that. So we were always introducing both our company, our business concept, and our technology to financial partners and uh, lenders when we were, when we were talking about the opportunity. So, um, you know, we were asked a lot of questions and it was, uh, it was a very conscious, uh, process that we went through to try to distinguish between a company like Solyndra that was a manufacturer of a technology versus Silicon Ranch, who was able to put together various components all of which had been in the marketplace for a long time, bundle those together and we sold electrons. So it was uh, distinguishing between those two business models was something we spent a lot of time doing in the early days of Silicon Ranch. Matt? Yeah, and, and you know, as Reagan said, we had to um, educate uh, a large number of our counterparties, our, our stakeholders about the difference from Solyndra and clean tech. Um, and what we were doing with Silicon Ranch and quite interestingly, as we were first in a number of markets that required us having to educate state and local officials, uh, finance partners, um, landowners. And in doing that, you know, we had some interesting uh, experiences. I will never forget one of our early experiences 
working with the bank that was financing our early projects. And they were going through the list of risk questions. And as they were going through the list of questions, banker turned and said, what happens if the sun doesn't shine? And I thought for a second and I responded, well, you know, if it doesn't shine long enough to affect our ability to repay this loan, you've got a lot of bigger problems than this small little loan that, uh, that you're making to us. And he stopped and thought and said, you know, I guess that wasn't a very bright question, but I think that helps to illustrate how little recognition there was about the opportunity, uh, that solar presented and understanding the, um, the technology itself and the ability to, um, to make it a profitable business venture. Um, needless to say, we were successful at, uh, educating, uh, these various counterparties. And as a result, we have the distinction of being first in market with large scale solar in a large number of the Southeastern states, um, including Tennessee, Georgia, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, and Kentucky. And, um, you know, the project we did in, uh, social circle, Georgia, which was the first project for Georgia power. Uh, in 2011, it was awarded in 2013, it came online 30 megawatts AC when it was commissioned, it was the largest solar project east of the Mississippi river. So that sort of shows you how quickly this market has grown and developed. That leads me directly into my next question, which was all of that stakeholder education has obviously now led to Silicon ranch being the solar company in the Southeast. At this point, you're, you're 10 years plus old. Has that made your growth now easier? Is there more inbound deals than you having to go out to the marketplace and try to sell new projects? Yeah, um, I'll start and then let Reagan follow on with his commentary. Starting in the, in Tennessee and in the Southeast, we were in an area where there was no policy that really supported, um, solar deployment. There was no renewable portfolio standard. There were no state or local tax incentives. And so most of the industry players had gone to those areas of the country that did have policy and tax incentive support. So we, from the very beginning had to have the discipline of creating opportunities, project opportunities that were based on economics. And by being able to make an economic argument that also supported all the other aspects of what solar brought to a, a utility or to a community, um, helped to make a convincing argument. And I think that discipline, uh, which we still use today, that discipline was very important in helping us one get started and to grow as rapidly as we are. And, um, I know that the utilities and our commercial customers with whom we work very much respect that. Just to add to Matt's comments that, uh, we really have seen a shift in the market dynamics. Silicon Ranch has obviously grown and our reputation is such that our, most of our new projects that we build are with partners that we've successfully partnered with before. So it is, uh more of a relationship oriented business than a, than a direct sales business. But I would also say the demand is as quickly as the supply of solar has grown in the U S the demand is growing more quickly 
And because of that, there really is a shortage of quality solar projects that can meet the renewable energy needs that a lot of these uh, hyperscalers have. So I think, um, you know, we, we're fortunate to be in this space where the demand for our product is uh, incredibly strong. Um, and, you know, even with the cost of solar increasing because of supply chain constraints and increasing cost of inputs, it's still increasing at a slower rate than natural gas. So it's, uh, it's really a secular trend that, uh, this, this industry and this technology is going to continue to be, uh, very accelerated in its growth phase until a different technology steps in to, to fill the void. Yeah, absolutely. Reagan, continuing with that a little bit and where Silicon Ranch is now, how big is your portfolio, both operating and developmental pipeline? And what kind of off-takers or customers do you typically work with the most? Um, so Silicon Ranch's contracted pipeline built or, or contracted to be built is in excess of four gigawatts. And if you think about four gigawatts of solar over the course of a year would uh, generate the equivalent power to a, a medium-sized nuclear plant. So uh, it really is a meaningful portfolio and uh, we are growing at a, a very accelerated rate uh, as, as we look at demand and growth out into the future. Silicon Ranch very early on as, as part of our uh, initial business plan said that we were gonna partner with utilities to help them meet the needs of their customers, the commercial and industrial customers. And that was not an intuitive choice or an obvious choice when we were writing our business plan. The, the only solar company of scale that everyone was talking about at that time was Solar City, And that model was to come between the utility and its customer by directly serving the customer and circumventing the utility. Because of our backgrounds in economic development, we knew how important the utilities were in that process. And we said, if we could give those utilities the tools to meet the needs of their customers, then that would be a win-win-win for everybody. So because of that, our customer base is uh, we have a few instances where we are direct serving a customer and that's in very limited geographies. But in general, we have um, partnerships with utilities that are then often backstopped by some of the hyperscalers and, and RE100 procurers um, that, that uh, really are leading the clean energy movement in the US. Got it, that makes sense. Two other things that I've heard you say that early on you decided what you wanted to do that maybe were, were different from a typical solar developer is one, you own and operate all of your projects. And two, from an early stage, you wanted to have big name advisors on your side. So uh, a big four auditor, the big investment banks. What was the thinking behind both of those and how much of your current success is attributable to that kind of decisions made? Sure, I'll start. When we set out and started the company, we sat down and, and really focused on how do we differentiate Silicon Ranch and how do we create, create value for both the company and the stakeholders um, who we will be serving. And those stakeholders include 
our customers, the communities and the like. And so, you know, so many developers lease land, we saw land as an opportunity, one to create value by owning it. Cause you're going to end up paying over the long term significantly more to lease it than to own it, but also to have that interconnection, uh, into the grid, you're investing in that interconnection with, uh, expensive equipment and being able to put power onto the grid for, um, the foreseeable future becomes a, another value creating opportunity for the company. Also, what we've learned is when we go into a community, so many times we're looked at differently than others in the industry because buying the land shows a commitment to that community that we're there for the long term. We're going to be there and we're going to be a good corporate citizen. It's an important part of our set of principles that uh, we make a difference in the communities where we invest. And that has allowed us to have successful projects in many places that actually did not want uh, solar projects because they had had a bad experience with a developer who had made promises or had done something and had been unable to, to deliver. And so owning our projects, we look at our projects again as the, as a long-term investment by Silicon Ranch. And I think all of those owning the land, owning the projects, working together to create the opportunities, differentiate Silicon Ranch as, as a company that cares about the relationships and cares about creating positive outcomes for, um, all those involved with us. Reagan. Thanks, Matt. And, uh, completely agrees with everything you said. So I'll just emphasize maybe the first part of, of Thomas's question about the advisors. And, and I would just, uh, point back to, and I think this is a good advice across any business class. Uh, when we were starting Silicon Ranch, we were a small company in a space that was seen as, uh, not well-established when we first got into it. So when you're doing that and you're talking to utilities and fortune 500 companies, um, you want to bring them comfort that they're dealing with a professional organization. And you do that both by how you carry yourself and present yourself, but also by the advisors you surround yourself with. So I think it showed, uh, it brought comfort to our lending partners and others that we had a big four accounting firm that we worked with professional, you know, tier one investment banks. And, uh, that really is a great lesson. It was, it was, it was a advice imparted to us by governor Bredesen as we were starting. And I would say it's great advice for, for any startup that's looking to scale in, in, in a, an early stage business. Obviously those kind of decisions and especially owning the land, owning the projects is extremely capital intensive. In January, you raised your most recent round, 775 million in new equity capital. And then somewhat related to that, we're seeing in the marketplace, PPAs getting shorter and shorter and exposing project owners to more merchant risk. Is there a level of risk that you're comfortable with? Or are you seeing that because you have such a good reputation in your geography where you're active, that you're actually bucking the trend and the PPAs are still longer, you have more guaranteed offtakes and that's why the regular cash flow uh, continues to be so attractive. I'll speak 
and then hand the mic to you, Matt, on the, on the equity raise. So this is a capital intensive business and the way we manage our business, owning the land is, is more capital intensive than the alternatives, but we've always focused on taking the steps that maximize long-term shareholder value. And, and I had always heard this before I went into business. Um, now that I've lived it, I realize it is true. If you are building a business that creates long-term shareholder value, you will be able to access capital. There's a whole lot of capital out there looking for a good place to invest. So that advice that people give you early on that seems so implausible, I can tell you, uh, based on my experience with Silicon Ranch, it's, it's true. Our business today has, um, you know, our portfolio is A plus credit and our PPA tenor, if you average it out of our whole portfolio is in excess of 20 years. So we're fully contracted with very minimal exposure to merchant risk. That's a really smart way to build a business. But now that we've got such a nice reoccurring base of long-term contracted assets, we're definitely thinking there is some number. Um, it's not a hundred percent, but it's definitely also not 0%. There is some number of revenue that, uh, you want to have merchant exposure, because it gives you more exposure to the lows, but it also gives you the ability to, to ride those highs. So, um, we, we feel we've reached a point where we can afford to incorporate merchant risk into our portfolio. I do think a lot of these companies that are coming straight out of the gate with a hundred percent merchant, uh, portfolios, they're not going to weather some of the inevitable downturns that are going to happen when you're riding a wholesale market like that. And Thomas, you asked about the recent $775 million equity raise, which was very impressive. And we were very excited to bring on board a new capital partner in Manulife, uh, John Hancock, as well as have participation from all of our existing investors. But, you know, it's easy to get excited by those big numbers, but I think back to our first capital raise that was outside of the original seed capital. I mean, it was a $2 million raise at $11 million pre-money, $13 million post-money, um, where we had, um, you know, a little over 20, um, megawatts of, um, of contracts and opportunity. And one of the things as, as Reagan, uh, mentioned, one of the things that governor Bredesen really taught us was, you know, if you keep your head down and work hard, the results will speak for themselves. And so really focus on creating results in about every 18 to 24 months, we've had to go to the market to raise capital. And because we have stayed true to our principles from the very first day of the company's existence through today, and we've executed on what we said we were going to do, the market has rewarded us for being true to our word and true to our principles. And I think that that's an important lesson. I mean, if there were times in those early years, we had investment bankers tell us, you can't make this work. You can't raise the capital to be successful at this. You should become a developer and just sell these projects. But no, we had a strategy. We believed in it because it's what our customers wanted from us and it helped to differentiate us in the marketplace. And by staying true and letting the results speak for themselves, we've been able to build 
on each capital raise to have a larger and more successful subsequent raise. And I think that's a, that's a result of staying focused. It's also a result of having good people. I mean, a company is only as good as the people you bring on board. And I think Reagan and I have been extremely fortunate to attract a quality set of, of individuals from all over the country who have come to work at Silicon Ranch that have helped us become the company we wanted to be. And, um, and I think you're going to continue to see exciting and innovative ideas to come from Silicon Ranch because of the caliber and and quality of the talent that, uh, is part of our team. Those are good lessons for anyone starting and scaling their own company. Taking a step back and looking at the solar industry in the U S we're continuing to see massive growth. EIA is projecting over 21 gigawatts of new installations this year. But they're obviously, and you've mentioned some of them, substantial headwinds. Um, We have supply chain delays. We have extensive delays when it comes to interconnection. Um, And then also solar tariffs, which just got renewed by the Biden administration. And there's talk of narrowing or completely eliminating the exclusion that currently exists. How is Silicon Ranch reacting or responding to those? Thomas? While the, the, the challenges that have manifested themselves as a result of both COVID and the U- Ukraine conflict are, are relatively recent and severe, um, this industry has always had a series of ups and downs because of uh, how policy is, has been enacted uh, around solar in, in the U.S. So when COVID hit, we started talking to our strategic partners about how to mitigate risk. Um, and, and part of the risk with COVID was, you know, domestic, but also supply chain risk. So for the past year and a half, we've been working with our strategic partners on the supply side to, uh, enter into long-term supply agreements and to encourage them to invest in domestic manufacturing so we could eliminate logistics risk. Uh, Silicon Ranch recently announced one of the largest module supply agreements that have been announced in the industry of four gigawatt um, agreement with our strategic partner, First Solar. We'll be announcing uh, another strategic supply agreement with it with another major manufacturer uh, who's a, a strategic partner of ours. So I think um, taking our collaborative approach, investing in partners that are there when the times are good and when they're challenging is really, it's the way we do business, uh, with across the, the value chain, whether it's our suppliers, our financial partners or our customers. So there will be challenges. Um, solar is still a relatively nascent industry and the companies in this space are still not that large from a balance sheet perspective. So, um, It's going to be a volatile industry and you really have to think about that all the time as you're choosing your partners, laying out your, your growth strategy. Matt, do you have other comments? Yeah. Thanks Reagan. Um, the only thing I would add is when we started Silicon Ranch, we really looked at other companies and that we admired. And one of them was right here in in Nashville, Hospital Corporation of America. HCA. And all three of us were familiar with them from our work in, in previous sectors. And one of the things that makes HCA successful is this concept of 
having stakeholders, strategic partnerships. And that's the way we like to do business. And from the outset of Silicon Ranch, we looked at developing not transactional relationships, but strategic partnerships. And if there's any one lesson that I would uh, encourage others to think about as they go into entrepreneurial ventures is these strategic partnerships become so important because yeah, it's easy in good times to think about, oh, well, they may be charging me slightly more. I'm going to go over here for a few pennies. But when times are tough is when those partnerships pay off. And as we've gone through COVID and the Ukraine crisis and these supply chain constraints, that's the time the dividends are earned. And I cannot say enough um, how beneficial these partnerships are. And, and I think that it's an important part of our success, it's an important part of who we are as a culture, as a, as a company. What are some of the trends or tailwinds that you're seeing in the solar industry and that you're specifically watching? I mean, the things that come to mind, solar and storage has been around for a little bit, but community solar has been getting a lot of traction. Um, we see a little bit of growth in floating solar technology, but is there anything outside of what you're already doing that excites you and you see as a big growth area for Silicon Ranch? So Thomas, I, I feel while the technology is always evolving, uh, I think the more interesting change that I see going on the marketplace is what's motivating buyers to go out and procure renewable energy and, and how can we tailor our product to meet those customers where, where they are? And when we first started Silicon Ranch, uh, we started in the Southeast and we, we would talk about the environmental benefits of solar, but we really focused more on the economic development benefits of solar energy security. Um, it has been interesting over, over the past decade, more and more, um, procurement decisions. It's almost like the pendulum has swung. We know solar is a great economic development tool. We know it's the lowest cost form of new generation. So buyers are now thinking about how can they maximize their environmental and other social and, and DEI goals with their procurement decision. So as we continue to evolve, we've always been a customer led company. I think, uh, making solar do more is kind of a motto that we have at Silicon ranch. How can we position our company and our projects to deliver more than just renewable electrons, but also look at, you know, the total carbon impact and offset of a project. Are we investing in communities that are really going to benefit from the investment? So, uh, I'm excited about, uh, that part of the company as well. And, uh, you know, one of our partners for our regenerative energy land management, which I'm going to let Matt talk about, um, is, is a, uh, fourth generation, one of the largest regenerative ranchers east of the Mississippi. And, uh, if you buy one of his t-shirts, it says, uh, white oak pastures, farming is radically traditional. And, and he's like, you know, he's, he's viewed as this visionary using all of this science-based regenerative grazing to, uh, to improve his soil quality and the health of his animals. But he said, this is old wisdom that we walked away from for a period. And all I'm doing is using modern science and old wisdom to, to produce great outcomes. And, and I feel like that's, that's what Silicon Ranch needs to do. Uh, 
we're using this great technology that's going to enable us to hopefully address climate change and have all these positive externalities. But we can't forget about doing things that are uh, radically traditional. So Matt, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Reagan. And, and you know, as Reagan said, we, we talk often about how can we make solar do more? And um, uh, one of our projects in Georgia, in South Georgia, um, we bought land near um, uh, Will Harris at White Oak Pastures, and, and he had reached out to the local, um, their local co-op to say, I'm a little concerned. I've got this large um, organic farming ranching operation, and the solar company could come in and start using pesticides and herbicides and pollute my entire operation. And the important thing to understand is he's the largest employer in that county, and he he pays twice the county average. He's a one-man economic development machine for a very small, poor rural area of, of South Georgia. And so um, in meeting with him and learning about regenerative land management, he convinced us that that's the way to go. And we incorporated first at that project uh, near him, regenerative land management, but we became so impressed. We hired the consultant that he, um, he used and uh, Michael Bowdy is now in charge of our land, uh, our land management and all of our new projects. And we're going back and retrofitting our older projects are um, incorporate regenerative land management practices. And that means that, you know, we're not using uh, traditional fossil fuel based mowers to go and, and cut vegetation. We're thinking about planting the um, native vegetations that support sheep grazing, support um, raising of chickens, bee pollinator habitats. And we got a, a grant to look at how you could design solar to, um, to also accommodate uh, cattle grazing ways to do things, to do more with solar and, and to also address some of the concerns that solar is taking uh, land out of agricultural use to put into energy production. Well, here is one uh, gentleman said who is a farmer and a um, uh, chairs of industrial development board in a rural community. He said, you know, we've been doing this for, for decades or generations. It's called double cropping. And, uh, and it's exciting to go into one of our solar projects and see the sheep grazing or to see the, the chickens. And, and it's at the end of this uh, period over years, that soil is going to become richer and, and more fertile than when we uh, bought the land. And so at some point, if we return the land to agricultural use, it's going to be a lot more productive and be in a lot better condition in uh, the way it was when we found it. It's extremely exciting. And it, again, as, as Reagan has said, it, it's one of our mantras about making solar do more. That is exciting and something, at least as far as I know, that we don't see a lot in the, in the solar industry. Pivoting a little bit because this is a, an MBA podcast and we always like to end each episode with a little bit of leadership and career advice. Both of you were in politics, are entrepreneurs, have held CFO, CEO, and chairman titles. You've mentioned a few lessons throughout this podcast, but if you had to distill a singular leadership lesson um, that you've either learned or that's guided you throughout your career, what would that be if you have something like that? 
Matt, I'll let Please. you go first. Okay. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I like to tell college and graduate student, school students, um, be mindful of developing your personal brand. I look back over the course of my career and I started in politics at 22 years of age and was successfully elected to the state legislature, spent 20 years, was on the ballot 10 times. Um, and, and what I learned as a young person is that you're developing your reputation and you're developing your brand. And as I've gone through my career, I would not have been considered for the economic development commissioner position if all those experiences in my past had not supported that. And then Silicon Ranch, I can say with, uh, with all certainty that so many opportunities we had in our early years where people didn't really know about solar and didn't really understand what we were trying as a business to do, they trusted us because Reagan Farr, Phil Bredesen, and Matt Kisber had developed a brand that, that emanated trust. And so as I think about a career, trust is something that's earned, it's not given. And, and I would encourage young people to think about as you go through your career, think strategically about developing that personal brand. So Matt just hit on a theme that I, I also share with, with every, every young person, whether they're looking to be an entrepreneur or not. And, and that is con consider your personal brand because that's what, um, precedes you when, when you're meeting people, uh, so that I can maybe pivot from one direction that Matt had, because we definitely, I think, share a lot of the same, uh, insights sharing, uh, some of the same mentors. And, and that really is, uh, invest in your brand, but invest in your mentor network as well. I cannot tell you, uh, how fortunate I've been at every stage of my career, whether it was, uh, in graduate school, thinking about what I wanted to do next to being in a big four firm and, uh, moving up in, in that framework or when I, I joined state government. And uh, I've always had the benefit of incredible mentors. And uh, I would say, you know, that is a two-way street. I think people often say, um, this person is my mentor. What advice can they give me? How can, what doors can they open for me? But I would say it's just as important that you are um, closing that feedback loop to them, sharing with your mentors uh, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're looking, how you could possibly help them. I think uh, investing in, in that is uh, time well spent at any stage of your career. I think those are two very good lessons to end on. Reagan, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I know I'll be closely following the Silicon Ranch's continued growth and look forward to talking to both of you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. I enjoyed being with you. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for new episodes and connect with The Warden Current on Twitter and Instagram for all up-to-date information and background on all of our co-hosts.